Andrea Tessman, it's not a question that I have necessarily as to what you were doing on December 7th, 1974. I know that answer. You weren't born yet. I was too. I wasn't doing much. But what was everybody doing, you think? I think going by one specific song that everybody was kung fu fighting. They were. Everybody was kung fu fighting. I'm not even going to talk about everything else that was going around that around that time. No, that's not what they were doing. They were kung fu fighting. <laughs> I actually read uh, an article that started off with questioning the absolute value of stating that everybody was kung fu fighting. Well, it might have been. Depends on where you were. I mean, if you say it in the right context... Like, okay, I just came back from, uh, you know, funky Chinatown. (laughs) And maybe at that point, when you're telling that story, everybody there, I mean, you're not going to say there, but yeah, everyone was kung fu fighting. I think, yeah, you have to have some situational relativism, and then it works. Absolutely. Absolutely. And... I'm so glad you picked this one. This was going to be one of my picks eventually. So... Oh, yeah. And how could it not be? I'm going to be a broken record here, but this is the best one-hit wonder. This is the ultimate one-hit wonder. Oh, absolutely. Um, Did you you catch his follow-up, Kung Fu Song? Oh, I did, which pretty much was the same thing. Uh, What was it? Uh, Kung Fu Dance. uh, Crap. Dance the Kung Fu. Uh, dance the Kung Fu, yes. Dance the Kung yeah. Fu! And it was the same same cadence and everything. Um, well, almost. It's almost like take Kung Fu fighting and mix in a little bit of the love boat theme. You move to the right, and then you move to the left, but then you don't really know what exactly move you're supposed to do. And he, I guess that's the thing with Carl. Carl couldn't move a whole lot. And Carl wasn't even that old. But we gotta, we got to start off with, who the hell was Carl Douglas in the first place? <laughs> Carl Douglas was a Jamaican-born, mm-hmm. um, he settled in Britain when he was a teenager, so I'm guessing his parents moved around. I think he lived in the States for a little while. Yeah, Cali. Um, yeah. He was a trained vocalist. Um... And basically just a studio musician. Yeah, just uh, tried tried this and that. Worked with, and I, I get, he still have to sort of like go with his background again. So we have a Jamaican guy, realistically though, with a far more British influence in ter- or American influence in terms of his music. When you think of who's going to be the first Jamaican to hit number one in the United States... People are going to first think it's Marley. Marley never even came close. Uh, actually, no. actually, that reminds me. We actually did have a request, not of a song, but to do all the people, the greatest people who never hit number one. That could be. Uh, that, that could be worth exploring. Yes. So that 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 was a request that did come. Marley being one, especially if we went, who's probably the greatest person or greatest artist, never even to hit the top thirty. Did he never even make it to no. 30? Wow. No. 
it's it's crazy the amount of success that he had much much later when a lot of people just learned about his songs like long after he died it's the craziest career but but Marley wasn't first Jimmy Cliff wasn't first it was Carl Douglas and this counts you know, much like Gautier is the second Belgian to go number one. <laughs> and we covered them both. Go figure that. That's something we never would have thought. Mm-hmm. So we have a Jamaican influenced by American soul music in Britain collaborating with an Indian producer. Did you read about... Sounds like a hit to me. <laughs> oh, oh, Absolutely. Singing about Chinese martial arts, actually, well, mostly Hong Kong films, really, because they weren't really from China. They were they were Hong Kong adaptations, but not that anyone in the United States, Jamaica, or the United Kingdom really thought the difference. Well, maybe in the UK they did, but they really didn't think of the difference of that. That's not what they thought. This is crazy. This makes this is the weirdest hodgepodge of e- of East meets West. And it's the wrong East and the wrong West. The, the whole thing is just just a happy accident. Like, so, so Carl is in studio to sing a totally different song written by someone else. Mm-hmm. They have two hours of studio time. Three hours? Anyways, they spend all but half an hour of it, take a break, and then go, oh, I guess we should do that B-side. So they didn't have a B-side pick. They were just recording this single. So they, um, the producer just asked Carl Douglas if he had anything. He pulled out a few. They picked Kung Fu Fighting. And they knocked it off in 20 minutes in two takes. And um, what was the producer's name again? Bilu? Something like that, yeah. Uh... I like on it. But anyways... He did all the hokey and chopping sound and really they just hammed it up because it was a B-side and who was going to hear it? Until... Well, apparently billions of people, but... It's, again, it's, it's just so nuts. Because, like, that guy became a pretty big so star then, himself. But, but the song that I think is sort of really interesting, just to show how this is this weird, happy accident... The song that they were recording, uh, I Want to Give You My Everything. Did you get a chance to hear it? So this was, I guess, the original A-side. I couldn't find it. Okay. I, 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 didn't, get to, I didn't look very hard. Uh, no. What, what, when, she, when she got there, you just made a right at Funky Town, and then you just stay put. <laughs> Why would you go any further? So that song, <laughs> it's very similar to that. It's like this pre-disco R&B-infused beat. Uh, Douglas's voice goes great with us, and we should, as much as we, I don't know that we're necessarily going to rip on the song, but I don't want to rip on this guy's soul voice. He's got no, he's got a great voice, absolutely. Bidu is his Just name. Listen to the the heart wrenching. Yes. Uh, so the song was written by a guy named Larry Weiss, who his biggest uh, contribution was Rhinestone Cowboy. So Bidu, that's his name, uh, comes up with this. And both Bidu and Carl, they're, they're working for Pi Records. They're not really anybody yet. But both of them 
would sort of live off of this in completely different ways, though. When you saw the videos for it, and there's only a couple, did you see the one where you have where you have sort of like two guys in the background on the left just sort of like doing a little like dancing, and then two other guys on the right who were dancing while trying to do martial arts? Yeah. All right. Bidu's there. As the, oh. as the Indian guy on the left. Because like everyone else is black except for one guy with this beautiful feathered 70s hair who just sort of looks out of place. Oh, there's the mastermind. He's just sort of like dancing right behind it. There's the hoo-ha. <laughs> Although they've got the microphone there that they never actually lean in to use. So this, this mistake just gets traction, it gains traction, and then all of a sudden, bang, literally everyone was kung fu fighting. Well, not literally. It's the poor worst of the, of the word literally. But it went so it number one. To get traction. Everywhere. It started to get traction because they, um, when the, the label heard it, they decided that, no, that had to be the mm-hmm. A-side because it was going to be popular. So I think they, they pretty quickly realized they could have a hit with this. Um, but yeah, and then it literally just became a club hit and exploded. It mm. still is one of the most successful singles of all time. And looking back, it, again, here's the th- another theme of this show. Right place, right time, right audience. This disco... Okay, so let's talk about the time. It, yeah. Because it was... Right in the prime of the um, kung fu fighting movies. Yes. Of the, what do they call it? Uh, chop. Yeah, they called them like Chop Saki. Yeah. Chop Saki. This is, and, which sounds inherently racist in and of itself. Which but, it is. Uh, <laughs> you know, that, this is. This is. That's what they called prime it. Prime Bruce Lee. It's, uh, it, yeah, all those really great ninja and kung fu and terribly dubbed. Um, martial arts movies. So you've got this fad that's everywhere, and they're apparently cranking these movies out of basically grindhouses to fill a need for the American drive-in market, mostly. Um, well, not just that market, though, Andrea. It also sort of like tapped into that urban audience because when we had the white flight in the inner city, so you had your black exploitation films, and then you had what would later be called Bruce exploitation, because Bruce Lee died in '72. Mm-hmm. So, and the Bruce Lee films '73, sorry, uh, but the, which a, a year before this. So, but the those movies just like you said, it filled a need, like in the drive-ins, in in the inner cities, yeah. and a lot of people who were seeing them were the black audience. Mm-hmm. And, and I never really made the connection between the black exploitation and the kung fu movies before kind of reading into this. And I was like, oh, yeah, that actually there's a lot of parallels um, in that, that style of movie making. You ever watch a Bruce Lee film? Yeah. Bruce Lee is like the best if you can just overlook one big thing the Bruce Lee this circle. Hmm? That he can't act. Wow, Bruce Lee had physical charisma. Oh yeah, and we only watched it to watch him actually his like incredible 
martial arts prowess. Right. But the biggest problem with every Bruce Lee film is the Bruce Lee circle. You know what that is? What's that? Okay. So the circle of the guys he's got to beat up, they all, well, the people he's got to beat up, they all go in a circle around him and then they charge at him one at a time. Like, what the How stupid is that? Like, I can't fight worth shit, but if there was ten of me, I'm going to beat Bruce Lee. Because if we're all charging at the same time, he's not going to get all of us. See, the thing with that, though, that I have a lot of respect for, is he was actually fighting them. Like, I mean, it was staged, but it wasn't all CGI like it is now. Mm-hmm. Now, you have 12 guys rush one, and that one guy beats them all up, but it's all it's all done in slow motion and then sped up, and it's like, it's all basically contrived and created. He's not actually fighting off 12 guys at once, even if it's choreographed. You know uh, who was the biggest actor in Bruce Ploitation movies? You know what his name was? Who? Bruce Lee, L-I. Oh, yeah. Like, how, how, how insane was that? So it'd be just this movie, so like, uh, like, I don't know, come up with some goofy name, uh, uh, Fortune Chinese Monkey Happy, starring Bruce Lee, L.I. <laughs> or Vengeance of the Yellow River, starring Bruce Lee. I'm, I'm making these names up, or maybe I'm not. Maybe maybe those that really happened. That could that could have happened. Could have. It could have. So, did you read more about Bidzu? He actually became sort of the forefront of disco. He took this whole idea back to India, and he was a big part of, not Bollywood was already going, but he was soundtracking a whole lot of people, and then apparently another person in Hong Kong, uh, I, I don't know who this person is, but someone named Samantha Lam, who was apparently a big deal in Hong Kong or Taiwan in the late 80s, so like this guy had one hell of a career. Yeah, and he still runs a production company of some sort. And, you know, good on him, too. Like, oh, actually, I'm reading here, too. Yeah. Uh, next turn, Shweta Sh- 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 Shetty. I, th- I think I've heard this name before. So he had a big, big thing with, with her. I mean, like, I, I know I should be better prepared on this, but <laughs> I, I'm, I, I, just, I just can't really get into Bidu other than watching him dance at the end. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Whoa! <laughs> so what do we have here after with Carl Douglas? I think we've got a guy who tried to sort of like do something after, but as you said, we open with this dance, the Kung Fu. What's he going to do with that? He, he figured, okay, this is my, my shot. I'm going to run with it. But I think he had, he was lucky to get where he was because everything's so visual. Carl Douglas and no disrespect to him is not the best-looking guy for a musician. He's pretty average. Yeah, but he was also bald. Not shaved head. He had the cul-de-sac. In the 70s, when everyone grew their hair out, and he was already 32, or only 32, and he had no hair that he could grow on the top of his head. So the fact that he made it, looking the way he does... Bald in an era of hair. How huge is that? It's impressive. Um, 
Yeah, I think it really very much is a matter of, yeah, right time, right place. And as you said, the guy can sing. He can sing. He had a couple albums after that just didn't go anywhere, which is, I, I, I don't know that he ever got a real shot to see what he could do. Because the other material that I heard, I mean, the voice is there. He's got the voice for that era. He should have had more hits. But when this is your opening hit, that's it. You're done. Yeah, I think with something like this as your hit, you really are pigeonholed into one-hit wonder status unless you do something incredible. You're not going to make a career out of schlocky, cheesy little songs like this. Um, And if they come up later in your career, like Chuck Berry, Mm -hmm. um, it it doesn't define you. But when it is the only thing you're known for, it's really hard to get out of that pigeonhole, especially when you try to follow it up with the exact same song in a slightly different tempo. Like, you're, you're now pigeonholing yourself. I can't find, Andrea, one picture of him where he's not dressing in Asian karate garb. Yeah. Not one. No. I couldn't either. So here's he, he's the one-hit guy, and he seems to be cool with it. Good on him. I mean, there's a lot of people who would just be miserable and angry about their status. And I feel like we've talked about this before. And we have. But this guy might be the happiest one-hit wonder of all. He's apparently still making hundreds of thousands of pounds, pounds because he's in England, Mm -hmm. a year, um, just off of royalties of this one song. Sure. I'm sure Kung Fu Panda doesn't hurt because they use that. Uh, Did you see the, or listen, actually, I kind of wish I didn't, uh, CeeLo Green cover? Yeah. They changed a lot of the offensive words. Yeah, they used uh, they used it in both Kung Fu Panda 2 and 3. Mm-hmm. 1 and 2, 2 and 3, anyways. Um, and they changed the words in both of them to different things that are inspirational and reflective of Poe's journey towards self-discovery or some wow. shit like that. The, they pretty much, the only thing they kept was the chorus and all of the rest of it is... Different. I'm, I'm trying to remember, did they keep actually the most offensive part? Ding a ding a ding ding a ding ding ding. Uh, the Oriental riff. Uh, they did, yes. So that is probably the most offensive part of the whole song. Yes. Even it's not intended to be offensive. And I, I did some research into this because there's a bunch of these cultural, um, like, there's, Riffs that just sort of, um, yeah, what's the, I'm trying to think of, they just kind of symbolize an entire culture, but often they're completely not actually, it's not like it's, it's not like that, doesn't come from a Chinese song, it's not a Chinese, it doesn't even really sound Chinese, it's just a pentatonic scale with open fourths generally, that to a Western ear signifies all Asian culture everywhere. Um, There's a few of them. Um, There's, I mean, if you think of a 
Cobra Charmer, you can immediately hear in your head one. Mm-hmm. You can think, you know, there's there's uh, there's some very racist Mexican sounding ones. Um, mm-hmm. So, anyways, this Oriental riff, there's no record of it in any sort of Oriental songs that a few different people that I've looked into could find, but it seems to date back to the 1800s to uh, an Aladdin play. Oh. Yeah, and then it appears over and over again um, and then was made very popular in old racist cartoons like Betty Boop and like um, the Aristocats. Have you seen that Disney movie? With no. The super racist Siamese cat that heard uh, about it. Buck teeth. Yeah. Mm. So that's kind of the theme that every time the Siamese cat shows up, they play it. So it's just become part of culture to represent part of Western culture that this riff represents all Asian culture. Well, I think and it's used all, all over all over the place. Up uh, Cannonball Run. You ever see that? Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay, so Jackie Chan and another uh, Hong Kong actor are in that. They're playing Japanese people. <laughs> and uh, so every, every time, sort of like it's right before wherever their clip is, ding, 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 they, they do that. Uh, man, you, even like a, there was this awful, awful show. There was this wrestling show in 2000, just not that long ago. And sort of this parody of Glow, only it just sort of kept on there. And they had like this one, one Asian character. So of course her name is Jade, and her entrance song begins with ding a ding a ding 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 ding. It's only two thousand where they were doing this. Yeah, it's um, it, it's not great. You know, we we should know better by now that there's. You could use an actual oriental riff that would still sound oriental without having these long-standing racist undertones. Um, but to that extent, do you think this song is racist? From a 2020 lens, yes. From a, from a 1974 point of view, no. This is a pretty much about a guy who just loves to go... Who's? It's almost like he's describing, hey, I went to the... I was watching these great films that I just love. So I got more the impression that he's watching like a gang fight or something, but he's, he's very respect aside from some questionable terminology, like the funky Chinaman from funky Chinatown. Well, I, I think yeah, um, funky Chinaman is not good. Uh, funky Chinatown. Well, no funky Chinatown's fine. Yeah. But funky Chinaman is not. No, but but at the same time, I guess he was called out at one point on that line, mm-hmm. and he basically responded with, "I didn't know that funky was a racist thing to say." <laughs> so I don't, I don't think that there is actually. I think it's it's respectful. He's talking about the skill involved and the you know expert timing and it's intense. So I think he's just like super, like enjoying the watching people. You know, watching these these fights. I, I, um, yeah, I, I don't think it's a racist song from that point of view. From a twenty twenty, that couldn't be a hit today. Oh no! But then, but I don't think it's. 
to listen to it today in in the right context, I don't think it's problematic. I, I think most they, people just love to – well, most people don't even pay attention to the words. They just remember the chorus and they remember the funky beat. Yeah. And again, I don't think – I think the intent of it is not racist. Therefore, I don't think people find it offensive. And there's nothing that's that bad. It, it's not like he's using racial slurs. Chinaman, maybe not great, but it's not It's not like he's calling them anything that's like – that people today would consider a slur. You said Chinaman. Someone would be like, it. That, that's, that's a weird term to use. But, yeah. Unless he said funky Chinese men, then he'd be descriptive. Exactly. Um, but I'm at the reaching. same time, <laughs> but yeah. I heard, I think that the best analysis of this song that I read was some things just aren't that deep. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't have to be. It, it, yeah. it, it's a fun song with a killer early disco beat that still sounds fun today. Uh, I, I, I've found something though, that I think might be really fun to look at. Carl Douglas has a website that he probably has not uploaded. Well, or updated in possibly 25 years. Can I, can I, can I read you of what he's got from the homepage? Yes, please do. Okay. Chilling with Carl Douglas. Back in 1974, everybody was kung fu fighting. Bruce Lee was still at it. Actually, he wasn't. He was dead. Uh, Carl Douglas kicked and pounded his way into the charts, blasting the airwaves and TV shows all around the world with that unforgettable song with that hook that hit the right spot at the right time and went on to sell 20 million units plus yield a platinum album. This is also how I know that he hasn't updated this in a long time. 20 years down the line, the blockbuster kung fu fighting still lives on. So that would be 1994. Still has has all the kick it did then with the added wisdom and punch of today. Really? Okay. For like the martial art kung fu itself, what, what is that? Which is always developing. He spelled the word witch wrong. W I C H. Like the wart nose cat wielding type? Don't just W I C H. It's not even. Oh. It's a made up word. And adapting to new <laughs> techniques. Europe's funk master Carl Douglas is still our man and totally in tune with the 90s. Oh, Jesus. Okay. Well, <laughs> that's good to know in 2020. Yeah. Well, really, he kept up payment on the on the site. <laughs> so there's that. I haven't. I haven't. I haven't really looked at everything. Here's Carl's Corner. Uh, big up and one love in the autumn and winter of 2004. Funk master Carl Douglas. Oh, it's actually a picture of him not in a not in a suit or not in a karate gi. He's wearing like kind of looks like he should be like a, 
like like the uncle on Good Times here. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I can't really read this. This is really my eyes are really bad too. Oh, another picture. This is like guess is somewhat contemporary. Either way, he knows what he is. He's owned it. I love him. Yeah, I um, I can't say anything bad about him. He's just he wrote a silly song that endured for almost fifty years now. Th- think about yeah. what we've looked at in, in this short li- short anthology. This Carl Douglas, they put this together in ten minutes. Gochi took years. Mm-hmm. With the same result, both with one hit, pretty much for the most part, both owned that. One, of the, although Carl lets himself be defined by that hit, Gautier says, "Well, define me if you want. I don't really care." Yeah, I I think that it's a very very different different type of musician. I don't think Gautier would ever be a studio musician. I, I think that he's more about creating art for art's sake, whereas Carl Douglas seems more like he's about creating art for money's sake, and because he genuinely enjoys it, but oh, he has a Facebook page. Guess how many followers he has? I don't know how many. 448. Jesus, that's not very many. When's the last time he updated it? <laughs> I have no idea. Well, the, the Facebook page would tell you. It just says followed by 448. Oh, but his like, only post is from 2013. Ah. Douglas was a singer, session singer for Pi Records when he wrote this. He got the idea from a song when he saw two kids in London doing some kung fu moves. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. That works. So... Well, we know what we're going to do next week because it's the holiday season and this will be the only Christmas song that we will ever talk about because only one time has a holiday song ever gone number one. It's the oldest one we've ever done and maybe the oldest one we'll ever do. I don't know if we're ever going to go earlier than this. So I need to correct you on one thing. It is not the only Christmas song that has gone number one. There is one other, and it is actually currently, as of today, the Billboard number one song. Oh, okay. I stand correct. What is that? Mariah Carey. All I Want for Christmas. That's number one right now? Right now, for the seventh week over all of its lifespan. But I think it's the third time it's hit number one. Huh. Okay, well, I guess I was wrong before. I thought it never did. Well, this will be the first one we'll do, because we're not going to talk about Mariah Carey's Christmas song. No. No. Everybody knows about Mariah Carey. No. And, no. This one is much more interesting that you're talking about. Yes. Because they're actually Hall of Famers. You know about my, my creation, right? The fictitious rock and roll Hall of Fame? I do. They're members of the fictitious Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I believe I may have voted on them one year. Did you? In your, uh, in your poll, yeah. You might have put them over. They're not, <laughs> e- they're, they're not even people. 
They're chipmunks. Alvin and the chipmunks did what Chuck Berry didn't do in the 50s. He, they went number one. <laughs> and they did it twice. They did it twice? Yeah, well, yeah. Uh, the Witch Doctor. Oh. Yeah. Oh, did that make it to number one? Yes, it did. And in fact, have I ever done my impression of uh, Michael Caine doing that? (laughs) Not that I know of. Okay. So I says, LA, UII, Ching Chang, Wally Wally, Big Bang. Is it really a Ching Chang, Wally, Big Bang, Bang? Spot on. Thank you. I, I can't do Michael Caine doing anything else other than that particular song. I don't know why I ever came up with it. Must be the alcohol, which I'm not even drinking today, which is strange, but so be it. But no, that's interesting to be corrected. We might ever actually do Mariah Carey one time. I, I think a little fa- What would be one of the songs where she ditched Tommy Matola? And then she decided she was in her early 30s and she was going to show as much skin as possible. That era is interesting to me. We can look into it. Or maybe not. I, I, I no. I don't know. But yes, uh, the Christmas song, Alvin and the Chipmunks, How the Hell This Happened, and even stranger, how this is still a thing. It's the, it, it makes no sense. Defies all logic, but that's what this is about. <laughs> Just one guy who came up with, a, with, an, with an idea. I could argue he's the first real DJ. Okay, we should stop talking about this now Yeah. before we spoil it for next week. Like, like, we like, like I've time. done before? Yeah. <laughs> All right, I'm looking forward. Otherwise, if we do that, then we'll have to do Mariah Carey next week. And no. We don't want to do the- no. No. So, um, so I think that we should adjourn and listen to Smouth and the Chipmunks. That's why. That's why I needed you as my co. So I would have done it again. I would have <laughs> shot my load prematurely. No. Okay. That may- maybe I should edit out that double entendre. <laughs> <laughs> I probably won't. I never do. No. Why? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> With that, stay safe. There you go. That's why there's an E at the side of this. <laughs> Alright, stay safe, Andrea. You too, Kirk. Good night. Night. Thank you all so much for listening. I'm sure you've now got that song stuck in your head. Look for a lot more content from us at nonhalloffame.com. And with that, stay safe, everyone.